Glad that you're here worshiping with us at Downtown Prez. If you and I have not met before, my name is Adam Radcliffe, and I am one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the privilege this morning of preaching. And so I am I'm thrilled to be able to do that. And that was Jake Patton, who was leading us in worship today. But in a couple of weeks, we will be starting a sermon series on the book of Numbers, and that will take us through the rest of the summer. And I'm just going to guess that a lot of us aren't that familiar with the book of Numbers, so I'm really looking forward to jumping into that series with you. But since we finished our our series on the book of Acts a couple weeks ago, we've been looking at different uh, passages in different books of the Bible. And Brian, two weeks ago, preached on Psalm 42, which is a passage that uh, we'll be thinking about this morning, a theme that we'll be carrying on today. And then then Jake last week uh, taught on Ephesians chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 130. So on the surface, this might seem a little random, uh, all of these different passages. And in some ways, they are. But what I hope to do this morning is to expand and build on what's already been said and hopefully draw out some common themes that we find in each of those passages. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 130. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along there in your bulletin. But this is this is one of those Psalms that I find myself going back to time and again. And one of the reasons for that is because there's so much gospel in it. There's so much godness to it, if I can put it that way. It shows me who God is, that he's the source and the foundation of my hope, especially in seasons of life when hope and assurance and joy seem to come at a premium. And that's a regular thing that I need to be reminded of. Another reason is because of its realness, how true to life it is. And that's what I love about the Psalms in general we can relate to what the writers are going through. That we have experienced the same experiences that they have. We don't have to use much imagination to feel what they were feeling. And in the psalm that we're looking at this morning, the writer is fighting against despair and hopelessness. And we've all been there, haven't we? All of us have experienced despair or hopelessness. Our souls have been troubled at one point or another in our life to varying degrees. Whether that be a natural disposition that we are born with, that we're constantly battling against, or whether it's more situational or circumstantial, like the loss of a loved one or a negative test result or a long season of unemployment where the future for us seems hopeless, where it's hard for us to get out of bed in the morning and to go about our tasks. Or like the writer of this psalm, we know that God forgives sins. We know that he forgives sins. But sometimes we ourselves don't feel forgiven and we walk around with an overwhelming sense of God's displeasure toward us that we can't seem to shake. So you can fill in the blank with, with your own story. And undoubtedly, there are people in this room, a room this size, who are wrestling with it right now. And there will be moments in the future for many of us when belief in God's goodness and belief in his promises to us will be put to the test by some circumstance or situation in our life and we will be in a fight for faith. That's why 
this psalm is so helpful is that it helps us to fight against despair, whatever the cause of it is. Whether it be sin in our life or whether it be something else, it helps us to fight for faith by finding our assurance and hope and joy in who God is and what he's done and what he has promised to do and to be for us. So let me go ahead and let me read the passage and then we'll get going. This is Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, Let the words of my mouth as I preach this morning and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We need help this morning, Father. I need help. We all need help. So we pray that you would grant it, that you would come and you would help us. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with the name David Brainerd. Brainerd was a missionary to Native Americans back in the 1700s in parts of New England. And his diary and journal, which was edited and published by his good friend Jonathan Edwards after his death, has been used by God to inspire countless Christians to give their life away for the cause of Christ in the world. It's It's an incredible read, and I would encourage you to read it. But one thing you learn about Brainerd early on in his writing is that he struggled with despair and dejection off and on for much of his life. He died at the ripe age of 29. Another thing that you will will learn by reading him is that he loved the gospel. Brainerd loved the gospel. He loved the God of of the gospel, but there were times in his life when he desperately struggled to believe it for himself, that it was actually good news for him. Listen to a couple of his journal entries. This is December 16th, 1744. He writes, was so overwhelmed with dejection that I knew not how to live. I longed for death exceedingly. My soul was sunk into deep waters and the floods were ready to drown me. I was so much oppressed that my soul was in a kind of horror. January 23rd, he writes, I scarce ever felt myself so unfit to exist as now. Indeed, I felt myself banished from the earth as if all places were too good for such a wretch. None know but those who feel it what the soul endures that is sensibly shut out from the presence of God. Alas, it is more bitter than death. That's a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? On such a high note, 
If you didn't walk in here feeling depressed, you're depressed now. But the reason I, I mentioned Brainerd and those journal entries from his life is because it is dark and it is bleak. But that's exactly where our psalm begins this morning, isn't it? Cries out, out of the depths. It begins in darkness. It begins in pain where there seems to be no hope. There seems to be no light and no God. And that may resonate with some of you here today. That the circumstances of your life may be different, but you know where he's coming from. And so like the writer of this psalm, we know what it's like to fight against that sense of hopelessness and despair when our souls are troubled and all we feel like we are doing is treading water, just trying to keep our head above, right? Above the water. We know what that feels like. So the question is, what do we do? How do we fight for faith, for joy, for hope? I believe the Psalm is a good place for us to start in helping answer that question. So this morning, I hope to be practical and therefore helpful. I want to offer four ways for us to bridge the gap between despair and hope, between sorrow and joy and worship. And so if you're taking notes this morning, those four ways that I want to highlight for us are to cry out to the Lord, cry out to the Lord, to cling to the gospel, to trust in his promises, and then last, to worship. So to cry, cling, wait, and worship. And if we could, if we could distill it into a sentence for us to grab hold on, it would be this, that the way that we fight hopelessness, despair when our souls are troubled, is by hoping in God. That we hope in God, not in our circumstances because they change, and not in our feelings because they change, but in God because he never changes. It's the kind of hope that trusts in what God has promised to be and do for us, though we may not in the moment be able to feel it or sense it or see it. And we know what it's like to fight for faith, don't we? So let me offer four ways for us to fight for faith from this psalm. And the first is to cry out to the Lord. Look at verses one through two. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So again, this psalm begins in despair, begins in pain. It's not where it's going to end, but that's where it begins. The situation for the man who is writing this looks bleak, right? His future looks bleak and uncertain. Another psalm that has similar imagery, Psalm 69. Listen to what he says there. It says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. So he feels like he's drowning. Like the waves just keep one after the next, just keep coming, crashing over him. And he has nothing to stand on or cling to. Does that resonate with you? Have you ever felt that desperate or that troubled where you feel like the life is being sucked out of you and there's no person or no thing that can offer any sort of meaningful encouragement to you? That you feel hopeless and alone, that God feels distant and disinterested, that he's abandoned you. 
That's where the psalmist finds himself this morning. His faith is being attacked. But the question is, what's he doing in that moment? Out of the depths, what is he doing? He is praying. He is pleading. He is crying out to the Lord. This psalm is a prayer, right? And it's a good lesson for us this morning because it tells us something very significant about God, about who he is, about what he is like. And it's this, that there is no valley or ocean too deep where God cannot reach you. There is no darkness so dark where he cannot find you. There is no sin that is so great that he cannot save you. There is no situation that is so hopeless, so bleak, where he cannot give you hope and joy in the midst of it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God, and our hoping in him would be in vain. And this ties in with what what Jake was preaching on last week. In that passage, Paul was praying for the Ephesian Christians that they might know, not just in their heads, right, intellectually know, but they would know in their hearts, at the very core of who they are, that they would know what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. That it would be the ground beneath their feet, always holding them up, supporting them in whatever situation or circumstance they found themselves in that he will be for us what he has promised to be. And the question is, do we believe that? Because the point is this, that the love of God for you is always deeper than the depths that you are in. So don't look to yourself and don't look to your circumstances, but look to God. He is not moving away from you in your pain. He is moving towards you. In fact, he is right there in the midst of it with you. So plead for him to help because the way that we fight against hopelessness is by hoping in God that he will be for us, brothers and sisters, what he has promised to be. So pray for him to act and be encouraged. You have a heavenly father who cares for you, who loves you. That's the first thing. The second way for us to fight for faith that we can draw from this psalm is to cling to the gospel. Cling to the gospel. Verses three through four say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Think of it. The writer of this psalm could only see in part what you and I know in full. He didn't know the gospel like you and I know the gospel this morning. And yet it is exactly where he anchors his hope. Now, the the hope of our relief from ultimate suffering and despair hangs on two very crucial words in these verses. And those words are if and but. If and but. Because the scene here is that of a courtroom. And the psalmist knows that he is unworthy. He knows that he doesn't deserve the Lord's kindness. He knows that he is sinful. He knows that if he were to stand before God's court on the merits of his own righteousness, before ever uttering a word of defense, he knows that he stands as a condemned man without hope. And the question for us is, if God were to call us to account for the things that we have done, 
What sort of hope would any of us have? What would be our defense? To what would we say for the times that we have lusted or gossiped? For our lying and greed and our coveting and our bitterness and our self-righteousness and our lack of faith. Not to mention the sins that we commit daily without any conscious thought whatsoever. What would be our hope? That God would welcome us. That we would be freed from our despair. The answer is we would have no hope apart from the gospel. The good news for us is that the gospel is the rock for us to stand on when we feel like we are drowning in despair. Whether that despair be brought on by some sin in our life and we don't feel God's presence, or whether that despair is brought on by something else. The psalmist there says, But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You know, some of us here this morning need to hear a constant reminder of this. Because we walk around and go about life feeling like God is not really happy with us. And he's never really pleased with us. And so we never feel his, his, his approval or his acceptance of us. But here in this psalm, we are confronted with the unbelievably good news of grace that the only thing, The only thing that can truly separate us from the love of God is our sins. And that has been dealt with. That we who were once condemned have now been forgiven. That we who were once without hope have now been given an unshakable hope. And this, brothers and sisters, is where we anchor our faith when we doubt God and his promises to us. We look to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf and all the promises that he died to secure for us, that nothing, nothing, not even suffering and despair and trouble can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So in your fight for faith, for joy, for hope, when you believe that God forgives sinners and yet you yourself don't feel forgiven, Cling to the gospel. Preach it to yourself, like Brian said a couple of weeks ago. Meditate on it over and over again until your heart sings for joy that you are loved and cared for. And then go and live a life that makes much of the grace that has been shown to you. The gospel is a rock for us to stand on when the waters of unbelief and trouble and despair are rising in our life. The gospel is a rock for us to stand on. That's the second thing. The third way to fight for faith, to hope in God, it's being modeled for us in this psalm, is to trust in his promises. Trust in his promises. The writer uses the words wait and watch. Look at verses five through six. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, my and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Now I, I don't need to tell you this, but when we are struggling in life, when we feel like we're treading water, just trying not to drown. When we feel like the darkness in our soul will never lift, one of the most difficult things for us to do is to wait, isn't it? 
It doesn't come natural to us. We want what we want right now. We want relief now. But when we begin to see God for who he is, that he doesn't abandon us in our moments of despair, but he's right there with us in it, that he doesn't leave us in our sin, when the gospel begins to become precious to us, we will gladly and joyfully wait for a God like that. The, the writer of this psalm is talking about the kind of hope that will not fail. It's the kind of hope that will not fail or disappoint. And it's the kind of waiting that is confident that God is indeed working in our pain and suffering and in our troubles, though we may not understand all the reasons for it that it's not meaningless. And what's the foundation that he gives here of the hope that empowers our waiting? What does he say? He says, in his word, I hope. In his word, I hope. His assurance, his joy, his hope, his confidence is grounded not in his circumstances or in his feelings, but it's in the word of God. Not in self-help books, or quick fixes. Friends, the Bible, God's word to us, is what nourishes and strengthens the discouraged and the dejected through seasons of despair. And I could give testimony to how often that has proven true in my own life, as someone who wrestles fiercely with discouragement. And I'm sure some of you could give testimony to it as well. So if if your faith is wavering today, If you're feeling hopeless, troubled, dejected, don't push your Bible aside, but cling to it. Preach it to yourself. Ask for faith to trust in its promises. Ask God to show you himself. In other words, like the psalmist is saying, hope in God. Trust in what he has promised to be and do for you right now at this very moment and in the future because a day of praise is coming though the night seems dreadfully long, this book is precious beyond belief. It is God's word to us. The the psalmist there in those verses uses the imagery of watchmen to describe what he believes is true about God and of his longing for him. Watchmen were responsible for keeping guard over the city while everyone else slept. They were watching to make sure that the enemy wouldn't attack. Now, I know some of you work the night shift, and you don't need me to tell you this, but sometimes the night can feel painstakingly long, right? You just can't wait for the morning to come. You know what it means to wait for the morning. And I remember a season in my own life when I was struggling with anxiety. And the nighttime was really difficult. And I couldn't wait for the sun to come up. Couldn't wait for the sun to come up. And that's really the point here, isn't it? Is that the sun always rises. How many of you went to bed last night wondering whether or not the, the sun would rise this morning? Anybody? None of us have reason to doubt that the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning or the morning after that. Why? Why? Because it always has, right? Without fail, 
The psalmist is saying that God 